You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. And today we're actually going to do a what we call a standalone message. This is not a series. This is just today's message, and we're going to be talking today about reaching our community, helping our community in the holiday seasons. We're coming up, I don't know how many days it is to Thanksgiving, how many days it is to Christmas. I walked into Lowe's, I think it was like Labor Day weekend, and they had Christmas decorations out already. So like, I can't believe it. But anyhow, we're really fastly approaching the holidays. And so uh, as we come to the end of October, we want to kind of launch our vision for what we'd like to see the Lord help us to do to help our community during, um, during the holiday season. So today I want us to look at a text that's a very famous text, a story that Jesus told, parable of the Good Samaritan. It's found in Luke chapter 10, verses uh, 25 through 37, and a very, very wonderful passage of scripture. Jesus was a great storyteller, and he told this a uh, parable that has just had incredible impact on people over the ages. And here's what he said, and it's in the context of a question given to him by the teachers of the law. On one occasion, uh, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out, took out two denarii and gave it to them, gave it to them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for your extra for any expense, extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Well, this is a great, great story, and it's a famous story. We all know the story, and it's about uh, Jesus being kind of propositioned by the religious people of his day, and uh, they had had a discussion. This guy came up to Jesus, and he said, "Uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, hear, O Israel, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And then he jumps to Leviticus 19, and he quotes, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, in essence, the key to spirituality and the key to the kingdom of God and the key to loving God and being a righteous person is to love God vertically 
and to love your neighbor horizontally. So what happened in the story was there was this kind of like uh, challenge from the, uh, from the religious leader, the scribe, the teacher of the law. He said to uh, Jesus, trying to want to justify himself, and this is probably a philosophical question that some people had had before, well, who exactly is my neighbor? How far away is my neighborhood? Who am I really supposed to help? Who am I really supposed to reach out and minister to? And so Jesus basically says that anybody that has a need that is in your path is your neighbor. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. And then he tells this heart-wrenching story about this traveler who was traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now that's about a 17-mile journey, 3,000 feet drop down a narrow, winding path covered by, surrounded by rocks and mountains, and robbers could easily hide in the crevices and the rocks to attack anybody traveling. And this man's traveling, and he's beaten. He's attacked. He's assaulted. And they strip him of his clothes, leaving him in a, in a situation of shame. And then they, uh, they take all of his money. They take everything he has, and he's left there half dead, unable to help himself, unable to move a finger And he's basically there in a terrible, terrible situation. And then Jesus says that there were two religious people that came by, and you would think that a religious person would be there to help. First, a priest came by, and a priest is responsible for for, uh, making the sacrifices in the temple. And evidently, the priest was traveling from Jericho toward Jerusalem, and he was headed to the temple to offer sacrifice. And this, can you imagine that man laying there, you know, his eyes are swollen, he's bleeding, he's in terrible condition, he's in pain, and when he hears somebody coming, you could just imagine his heart becoming full of hope that somebody's going to help me. And the priest is maybe thinking a religious idea. Maybe, you know, this man is dead, and if I touch him, I'll defy myself, and I can't offer the sacrifice I need to offer in the temple. And so he passed by on the other side and avoided the man's need. And then a Levite came by. A Levite is someone that helped with the priest to offer the sacrifice. And the Levite also is probably on his way to the temple, being very religious. And he also avoids the man, and the man's heart is distraught. And then Jesus tells this. He throws this curveball in the story. He makes the hero a Samaritan. A Samaritan was considered a heretic, You know, Jewish people thought that the Samaritans were complete heretics. They didn't believe in all the Old Testament. They only believed in the first five books of the the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. They didn't believe in the prophets. They They didn't believe in worship in Jerusalem. They had their own temple. And so they hated, and they were a mixed breed. They were were not racially pure. They were a a despised race of, of Jesus' day. Because when the Assyrians came and conquered the northern kingdom in 722 uh, B.C., they intermarried with the Assyrians. And this is sort of a, uh, uh, not just a strange breed of people. And the race wasn't right. But God makes in the story a person that has the wrong belief and the wrong race makes them the hero of the story. And he comes and comes over to the man and he picks him up picks him up, his bloody body is in his arms, and he pours oil and wine into the wounds of the man. And then he takes and he places him on his own donkey. 
He puts him on his own donkey and he takes him to an inn and he gives the innkeeper two denarii, which is two days worth of work, and he gives him the money for his lodging and he says, I'm going to come back and I'm going to check on him. And if, you, if he occurs any more financial uh, expenses while he's here, I'll take care of that. So not only is he momentarily going to help the man, he's going to come back and check on the man. And then Jesus puts his finger in the heart of the Pharisee and the scribe, and he says, who do you think is the neighbor to this man? And he said, the one that had mercy on him. So the story, here's the thing about this story. The thing about this story, Jesus tells this story, and we are in the story. When he tells the story, it's not a story we listen to and we listen to philosophically. You cannot listen to the story without putting yourself in the story. And you have to figure out who are you in the story. Are you the priest? Are you the Levite? Or are you the Samaritan? And that's the thing that's annoying about this story. You can't read the story like a nice story, like a John Grisham novel. You can't read the story and just appreciate the story. He pulls you into the story, and you're in the story, and you have to decide, who am I in the story? And Jesus, you know, the whole conversation starts around a a teacher of the law who asks a question, a scribe. Now, the teacher of the law is a, uh, an expert in the law of Moses, and he's asking about who is my neighbor. And here's the thing. This is, this is a guy that he is obsessed with philosophical, theological discussions. You know, he wants to talk about the nuances of the law. Who is my neighbor? And he's into these interesting theological ideas. And here's something that we have to guard against in the church and all of our Bible studies and all of our teaching of Scripture. We have to think about this, that sometimes we become a people that we're just thinking about ideas. We're thinking about thoughts. We're thinking about theological concepts. And the kingdom of God is not about knowing the Bible. The kingdom of God is about doing the Bible. The kingdom of God is not about accumulating information, accumulating knowledge. It's about what that knowledge does to us and how we behave in the world. That's what the Bible is. The Bible is not something we learn to know. It's something that we learn to do. There's a guy named uh, Bob Goss. He's a, a lawyer that became a Christian, and he... Uh, I read his book and with some of friends of mine, some men that I did a Bible study with a number of years ago. And Bob Goss has a book called Love Does. Love Does is the name of the book. And Bob Goss says, I don't have Bible studies. I don't do Bible studies. He said, I'm not going to have a Bible study. He said, I'm going to have a Bible doing group. So he created these groups where people would get together And they would pray together, and then they would go out and do what the Bible said. Really incredible concept. Now, I am a person that loves Bible studies, and I lead Bible studies. I think Bible studies are good. Bible studies and growing in our faith, our small groups, we have a lot of Bible studies in our our church and all that, and that's so good, and we absolutely will continue to do that. But we need to remember that accumulation of theological knowledge is not the goal. The theological knowledge we accumulate, what we learn from the Bible, is to transform us so that we make a difference in the community in which we live. So, the, so the, the scribe in this story, he just wanted to talk about ideas. If you read the book of uh, 1 Timothy, Paul said to Timothy, warn those who want to argue about genealogies and, and, and biblical myths. 
but let them give themselves to the work of God. Because the kingdom of God is not about learning, it's about doing. And so that's what the story teaches us. You know, what we need to do with what we know. John Maxwell, I think he stole this from somebody, but John Maxwell says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You know, some of you heard me tell years ago, I've told this story a bunch of times, but I, when, I, when I lived in Pensacola, Florida, I, I was in Bible college, and I took this class, um, a, a elective class on how to tune pianos. And, um, and so, consequently, I had to practice tuning pianos. I bought all the equipment to learn how to do that. And uh, we lived in Brownsville, which is a suburb of Pensacola, not a very nice part of town. And uh, we uh, lived there, and so there was this Brownsville Baptist Church there that had all these old pianos. And I, I went up every afternoon after I got done school, and I would practice tuning pianos. And uh, one day I came down, and I had a big 1971 green Thunderbird car. I mean, it was big as a train. I mean, huge. Came out, and I had a, a flat tire. So I'm like scratching my head, trying to figure out how I'm going to change this tire, and uh, open the trunk, and then this little white car scoots down the road beside Brownsville Baptist Church, and it's my friend Marty Glennon. I went to school with him. He was a guy in the Bible college, and Marty Glennon was a, an alcoholic before he met Jesus. He fought in the Vietnam War, had all these, uh, uh, all these issues from the war, and became an alcoholic when he got back, but then he met Jesus, and Jesus changed his life, and so Marty Glennon and I became friends, and we would ride to school together, and he would tell me all these stories about his adventures in the Lord, with the Lord. But Marty pulls up, and he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I got this flat tire, and I'm trying to change it. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm on my way to take a makeup test at the Bible college. I need to go to the Bible college to take a test. And uh, Marty jumps out of the car and said, I'm going to help you change this tire. And I said, well, hey, Marty, you got to get to take your test. I mean, I, I, I'll figure this out. He said, here's what he said. He said, I care more about you than I care about taking that test. Now, probably Marty wasn't ready for that test. Maybe that's why <laughs> he didn't do that. But he helped me change the tire. Christianity is about changing the tire. It's not about going to school and getting the theological knowledge. Christianity is about changing the tire. It's about helping people, helping people that are in need. Now, in this story, you got this, you got this other person, the, the, the guy that was wounded, and he's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And we don't know anything about the guy. We don't know if he's Jewish I assume he's Jewish. We don't know if he's bad or if he's good. The Bible doesn't say that like he's running from the law and he's going down to Jericho to hide. He's just a normal guy, probably a rather regular guy. And he's just doing his thing. He's probably going down there to conduct some type of business or he's going down there to see some friends or some family members. He's going down there, and he's going down there, and he's just innocently going down the road, and then something unexpectedly happens to him. Something bad unexpectedly happens to him. And here's what 
happens to us in life. When we go through life, we're just kind of like doing our job. We're just like raising our kids. We're just like paying our taxes. We're going to church. We're in small group. We're just doing the stuff that we're doing, and we're just doing life. We're traveling down the road of life, and then something happens that we didn't expect. Something painful, something negative, something unexpected comes into our life and causes us a great deal of pain. I hear it all the time in my, in my work and what I do. You know, people are fine. They go to the doctor, and then the doctor has this, this report, negative report. There's something wrong, and they have to go through these treatments. Or you, know, you go through life, and something happens to one of your family members, and you didn't expect it. Let me tell you something. I'm here to tell you that, that, that even though you're a good person, even though you love God, even though you serve the Lord, when you're traveling down the road of life, there's some things that are going to happen to you that you didn't expect, and they're going to be very threatening to you. Any theology, any belief system that says, if I am a good person, nothing bad will ever happen to me is not true. We have a whole book in the Bible called the book of Job, where Job, if you read the book of Job, perhaps the oldest, Bible, uh, oldest book in the Bible, Job is considered maybe the oldest book we ever had in the Old Testament. Probably written before Genesis and some of the other books. It's a very, very old book, and it's about suffering. And, and Job is suffering not because he's bad. He's suffering because he's good. The devil comes in with some of the angels and says to God, listen, have you, and God's bragging on Job. God is proud of Job. That's my boy. He said, have you considered my servant Job? He is righteous in all his ways. And what does Satan say to God? Well, he's serving you because you've got a hedge of protection around him. You're protecting him. You're watching over him, and you're hovering over him. You take that hedge away, and you cause trouble in his life. He'll curse you to his face, to your face. God says, okay, I'm taking the hedge away. You can do anything you want to him, but you can't take his life. Job loses all of his herds, all of his flocks, his children, Everything, and it's, if you read Job chapter 1, it's one thing and then another thing and then another thing and then another thing. It's like one bad thing after another bad thing after another bad thing after another bad thing. And it says, after all that was over, Job fell on his knees and he worshiped the Lord and he adored the Lord. And it says that Job did not sin with his mouth. You never know if your faith is authentic until you go through the fire, and you go through the trial, and you go through the difficulty, and you are going through all that, and yet you still worship him, and you still praise the Lord. See, authentic faith is never verified until we go through trouble. You see, that's why God lets us go through some things sometimes. And I just, uh, I believe that there's incredible hope in understanding the sovereignty of God over even the suffering in our life, that God is sovereign. If you notice that stuff that Job went through, Job went through, God was sovereign over those things. God knew what was going on. God had a plan and he had a purpose in that. Then the devil came back and said, well, <laughs> God said, have you considered my servant Job? You took everything away and he's still worshiping me. He said, skin for skin, you let him have a disease 
You let him have some physical uh, malady, and he'll curse you to your face. And then Job was covered with boils and covered with all these things. And, and the Bible says that his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? And here's what Job said. Shall we take from the hand of God only good? And he says that Job did not sin. And he said, uh, blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, this guy in the Good Samaritan story was going down a road and he was just doing life and something happened to him that he didn't expect and and, and that is the story of the human race and I just want you to know if you're going through a hard time right now God is sovereign over your life God is he is still on the throne he has a plan even though you know it doesn't look like he has a plan he's still with you and your faith is being authenticated because of your faith in the Lord now, there's a great verse of Scripture. In fact, one of my favorite verses in the whole New Testament, if I can find it, it's 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, I believe, if I can find it here. 1 Peter, we're coming up on it here. Here it is, 1 Peter. Listen to this. This is, this is fundamental in our faith. 1 Peter 1, 6-9. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while... You have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. One of the things about trials in your life, they're for a little while. A little while. You say, well, I've been going through treatment for two years, three years. I've been having trouble with my, you know, my, you know, my adult children for like ever since they've been adult children. I've been having a rough time. You know, when you consider the eternal perspective of God and how long we're going to live in eternity... When you're going through something, it's like going to the Atlantic Ocean and kneeling down and taking an eyedropper and, and taking that eyedropper and putting in some, some salt water and you hold that eyedropper in front of you and that eyedropper of water represents your little while, your suffering. As you look over the vast ocean, that's what represents eternity. Eternity. Where all our tears will be wiped away, all sorrow and mourning will be done away with because we have, we have to have an eternal perspective in order to go through trials. Our problem and my problem and your problem is that we have a temporal perspective and the temporal perspective never makes sense when we're going through a hard time. But when you look at this in the perspective of eternity, it makes all the difference in the world. Here's what he says. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Listen, verse 7, important. Verse 7, these have come so that the proving genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. So these have come to prove the genuineness of your faith. My faith is genuinely validated, not because things are going good, but because when things aren't going good, I, God's work is still working inside of me. I was, some of you heard me tell this story many times as well. I was, when I finished Bible college, I got a job at uh, Shakey's Pizza, which is a pizza place in Pensacola and one more 
Liberty Bible College student, gainfully employed after that. So I got this job at a pizza place, and I'm working in there one day, and I've been sharing the Lord with this big guy, really big guy, uh, and talking to him about Jesus and inviting him to church. He just like stonewalled on me, stonewalled on me, stonewalled on me. And, um, and so one day, I was in the back freezer getting some stuff, and he took the pizza pans that he had had in the pizza oven he had them in there. He was sterilizing them, and so they were in the heat. They were being sterilized, and he pulled them out with that big stick with a little thing, and he put them on a table, and I came around the corner, and I didn't know that they had just come out of the oven, and I grabbed those pizza pans and just burned my hand. And I mean, I did a little dance around. I did Pentecostal dance, you know, on that, on that uh, Shakey's Pizza thing, stuck my hands in ice, and that guy looked at me. He said, I'm going to go to church with you now. I said, why? Why are you going to go to church with me now? I said, because when you burned your hands, you didn't cuss. You didn't cuss, I mean. <laughs> I'm so glad he could not read my mind because I'm telling you, <laughs> I was cussing in my mind. See, he was looking to see if my faith was genuine. And he could only tell if my faith was, faith was genuine when I went through a hard time. And I'm here to tell you, there's some people in this audience today, your faith is genuine. You're here today. You're going through treatment. You're going through a hard time. There's a lot of rough stuff happening in your life, and you haven't said to the Lord, God, why are you letting me do this? Why are you done this to me? I'm not going to serve you. I'm not going to love you. You're here. You love Jesus, and you love Jesus, even though you're going through a hard time. When Paul and Silas were in Acts chapter 17, or 16, when they were in Philippi, the Bible says that they were severely flogged and severely beaten, and they were thrown in prison in the darkest dungeon. Their feet were put in stocks and their hands in bonds, and they were, they were in a terrible situation, the Bible says, at midnight. At midnight, when it was dark, when it could not be any darker, they began to sing and worship the Lord. They began to worship the Lord, and the prisoners were listening, and they saw the authenticity of their faith, not because they were going through an easy time, but because they were going through a hard time, and they still loved Jesus. So be encouraged. Be encouraged, even though you're going through a hard time, even though things haven't turned out. And, and any theology that you have, that you've heard, and this crazy theology, I mean, God does miracles, He hears people, He answers prayers, absolutely. I know He does, you know, like the book of Acts, you know, you have a bunch of miracles in the book of Acts, but the book of Acts takes about 30 years, it covers about 30 years, and there's probably about less than 30 miracles in the book of Acts, so that's like one a year. I mean, God's moving, He's doing things, but life is not just one miracle after miracle after miracle. God is sovereign in our life. And Sometimes he allows us to go through some hard times, and he's with you even when you don't feel it, and you're still serving the Lord, you're still loving the Lord, you're still faithful to the Lord, and you are walking with Jesus, and you're just serving the Lord, and I just think it's incredible what I see happening in you. And let me just read this one more time uh, as, we, as we go to the last point. In all this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while. Everybody say little while. Say it one more time. It's, it's only going to be... A little while. Though for a little while you may have suffered grief and all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, these have come. God has let the trials come into your life so that people watching you see that faith is real. Your faith is real. He's showing you that your faith is real. 
Your faith is authentic. And then finally, we have the, the key to the story. The key to the story is there were people that walked by and didn't do anything. And then there was this one man that had compassion, and he reached out to help other people, this person that was in great need. So one of the things that we're going to do this holiday season is we have this goal. We want to help, uh, we want to help 75 kids 75 kids, uh, that's awesome, thank you. Um, we want to help 75 kids in the Seaford School District and beyond. There's some other school districts we're going to be helping that uh, won't have a Christmas this year. Um, and that are, you know, there are a lot of kids in this county that have incredible needs. There are kids that are not far from here that actually have... Uh, their parents are in prison for drugs, and they're being raised by a grandmother that doesn't have resources. And these kids, uh, Justin Gillette, who is our student director here, Justin was telling me that one year, not too many years ago, he said to the kids in his class around Thanksgiving, he said, what are you kids thankful for? And he has these really rough kids in his class, and he said not one of those kids could say they were thankful for anything. And he's trying to get them to say something. So he says to the kids, he said, well, just think about what you got last year for Christmas. And he said, those kids in his class said, well, we didn't get anything for Christmas last year. It's just another day. And we've seen over the last several years, we've been reaching out to the Seifert community to help uh, kids over there, that Justin, last year, he delivered these gifts to, there's a little motel on 13 by the, the pond there that's really kind of a low-end motel. And there was a homeless family living in there on Christmas morning. And we had provided Christmas presents for us through you guys. You guys had gotten Christmas presents. Justin pulls up in the driveway and as he pulls up into the driveway, those kids are sitting on the sidewalk in front of that room waiting for him to show up, and they run out to the car. And they can't even wait to get into the room to open their presents. They sit in the parking lot, and they open their presents because it was the only Christmas they had. And sometimes pouring a little love in a child like that has an, an internal impact. And uh, I recently interviewed Justin. I want you to listen to this interview uh, about one of the kids that we helped, and then we'll, uh, we'll go on to something else. One of our best success stories, actually, with mm -hmm. the Christmas. Uh, it was the first year we did it, which I believe was five years ago now, believe mm -hmm. it or not. It's been a while. He's a junior now, um, and he was a seventh grader, I believe, at the time. And uh, this, this particular child... Uh, I, he would go days where he would leave my room at 2.45, return back at 7.15 the next day and had not seen another adult. Uh, so it was up to him to determine, did he want to come to school today? Did he have clothes he could wear today? And several times he would wear a hoodie with uh, nothing under it. He'd just wow. have this. So we'd go to the gym and he'd play basketball, but he would never change. And I found out it was because he didn't have anything under. So he would uh, just wear the jacket. And, and the success story on that is that this child now, from seventh grader, who he was public enemy number one. I mean, I was his last chance. There's another class like me, and even that teacher said, I'm not taking him. I'll take, I'll take three other kids, but I'm not taking that one. Wow. Now, this kid now, uh, we went to his house on Christmas. He was there by himself, playing video games in a, in a small little apartment. There was no adult home. 
Um, this kid now is 100% going to go to college. He's wow. a junior. He'll have athletic scholarship offers. His teachers say he's doing great. I mean, this is the, I mean, just the turnaround is amazing. And I wanted to say on that, I really believe the beginning for mm -hmm. him mm -hmm. was that Christmas. Wow. I really, I really truly do. And I believe that the beginning was the Christmas and he saw that there was some love and some people that believed in him mm -hmm. and, and some people that were in his corner. And it, I, <laughs> Um, I, you, it, I've never seen a turnaround like it. It's amazing. Yeah, wow. amazing. So yeah. this turnaround. Christmas reverse thing really is life-changing for some kids. It, it can be. And, but what they really don't have is, is love, ultimately. Yes, yes. And so they can have these things, and they can experience a Christmas, and they can feel some love. And I'm telling you, it, it, I wouldn't believe it, but I saw it from my own eyes, and it can really turn some kids around. That's such a great story because Justin was telling me about this young man that we helped. And uh, the, the day we delivered the gifts for the first time, he was sitting in an apartment, as Justin mentioned, by himself. And uh, he was failing out. Now he's, his grades are good. He's doing really good. Of course, Justin's played a big role in that as well, obviously. Uh, and he's a star football player on the football team, and he's going to go to college. And that's just a little bit of love goes a long way with a child that hasn't had any love at all. And uh, Garrison Keillor said, nothing you do for children is ever wasted. They seem not to notice us hovering, averting our eyes, and they seldom offer thanks, but what we do for them is never wasted. And Justin yesterday called, uh, we have 75 kids that we're accumulating. We don't have all the kids today. We have 25 kids here today that are ready for adoption. There's a card that you get, tells you the age of the child, if they like the eagles or whatever they like, whether they need jewelry. This child uh, loves pink. It's a little girl. She likes jewelry, nail polish, and uh, press-ons, and she's a uh, size, what size she wears and all that. So you get a card and then you have to, uh, there's a date that has to be brought back by December 11th and wrapped. And, uh, and so uh, each one of these, so we have 25 of these today. The Fenwick Island campus, you guys have 15 of these today. We'll have more the next coming weeks and you can adopt a child and help them during Christmas. Yesterday, Justin talked to someone where, as we were gathering these names uh, here's, the, here's what he wrote to me. He said, following up with one student today that had been identified by an eighth grade teacher, and I ended up with a teary-eyed grandmom. She was so relieved to hear the words coming out of my mouth. People get so much stress wondering if they're going to be able to financially handle Christmas. I don't know the situation, but I know it's a house full of kids living with a grandmom. I automatically assume drugs, but I don't know. So we have a lot of situations like that that we're trying to make a difference. So that's the first thing we're trying to do this Christmas, uh, and we'll be doing that, gathering these names for the uh, weeks coming up to uh, December. The next thing we want to do this year is there's a wonderful lady in our community that goes as a part of our church. Her name is Tish Pusey. Tish uh, is a wonderful lady that Karen and I have known for a long, long time, uh, and she has MS, and uh, she's living in... Uh, in long neck and a double wide. Karen and I went to see her the other day, spent some time with her. And uh, Tish is a wonderful, wonderful woman, wonderful woman. And uh, I, I, I did an interview with her, and I want you to watch the interview, and then I'll tell you a little bit about how we can help Tish. And uh, that's part of our Christmas mission this year as well. Hey, everybody, Pastor Danny here, and uh, I want to say hello to Bayshore family, everybody watching online and everybody watching in person today. 
And uh, I am with one of my very favorite people in the world, uh, Tish Pusey. Uh, Tish is a, a local lady from our community that uh, Karen and I have known for so long. And uh, uh, her dad was Bill Pusey, was a yeah. CPA in the community. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, I know her kids and uh, mm -hmm. Tish has been a real blessing to us. Tish, yeah. I, I understand that uh, after high school, you actually ran for Miss Delaware. I did. You did? And did you win? I did. You were Miss Delaware. What I year was. were you Miss Delaware? 94. 1994. Yeah. It was a highlight, one of the highlights of my life. Wow. It was a blessing. Did you say you won it through dancing? I did. You That was your, your talent, dancing? I was. Okay. I was a tap dancer. I So at one point, I got to dance on the Miss America stage in New Jersey. Wow. Now, like, there's not many people that can say that. I know. That's a big no, deal. It's special. <laughs> well, that's yeah. incredible. You know, when you have a... Uh, a privilege like that, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're Miss Delaware, or you have some right. position. It gives you a, uh, a platform of influence, and you can help people. And you traveled to our whole state, and did, were able to meet did. the governor and a lot of famous right. people, and had a lot of uh, yes. interesting things to do. And I was able also to go into churches and do youth groups wow. and explain to them what had happened in my life yes. by that point. Yes, I was diagnosed with MS. But I had to put pieces back together. No kidding. And develop a positive attitude, you know, to live every day and to yes. get me for the future and to rely on God despite what is going to happen and yes. what has yes. happened. You have to make the best of it. Wow. You know, and God's still with you. You're not alone. Yes. But your attitude is so vitally important yes it really is boy that speaks to me challenges me and you know right. uh, that you are you know you constantly work at having that positive attitude and and uh, you know you just emanate that and so you were 21 mm -hmm. when you found out about as mm -hmm. MS that you had yes. okay and so no clue you didn't have any idea and it then didn't. out of the blue you find this out and mm -hmm. was that hard to process at first very hard. Mm -hmm. I was, especially, I was very active. Mm -hmm. I was a runner. I was a dancer, physically fit. Mm -hmm. Devastating. Yes. Devastating yes. at that age. I really struggled yes. for a couple of years. With, I was very angry. Yes, yes. And, you know, like a lot, why? Why me? Why did it happen to you? Yes. 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 Um, so, and I realized then that everybody's going to or will be at some point yes going through something right, right and you have got to lean on god yes and develop a positive attitude that's exactly right somebody to. said once that it's not what happens to you it's what happens in you that matters exactly how you exactly. respond to things it's how you react our dreams we're all going to have shattered dreams mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i've had plenty yes but it's up to me to yes. put the pieces back together wow and yes. my attitude and how I react yes. to what's happening in my life. I know. Yeah. How about that? Well, yeah. you're, you are such a great uh, model for all of us, and oh, your attitude is just such a blessing. Tell me about your family. You got some kiddos. Tell me about I your kids. I do. I have three kids. Okay. I have my oldest is almost 25, Luke. I have a beautiful girl, 22, 22. Lee and Nicole. Okay. And then I have my baby is Lance. Lance Tyler, and he's almost 17. He's 17? He's a junior. Wow. Yes. And this has not been easy for any of us. Yes. But I've watched, of course, I've prayed 
very hard mm -hmm. that God would protect them. Yes, yes. And I've witnessed that. Yes. So Don't even though you can't uh, drive a car or run around, you when you're in this bed, you're interceding and praying for your kids. Yes. And that's one of the things you do here. Yes, okay. yes. Well, one of the things that we would love to do for you at Bayshore, you have a connection with our church and uh, yes. you came to the Millsburg campus and the Rehoboth campus. Yes, and and over the years, I've just, yes. uh, it's been uh, our, our ministry's privilege to, to be able to speak into your life some, but mainly to watch you and just see how God's Thank working you. your life. And we like, this is, we're coming to the holiday season sure, sure. and we're getting ready for Thanksgiving, then Christmas and uh, Bayshore would really like to help you with your mortgage because I know that you, are in a situation where obviously you can't go to work and yes. uh, you know you're a single mom and you have yes. all, all these bills and uh, right. our goal right. is to is to try to pay your mortgage for a year okay. and you have uh, mm -hmm. I think your mortgage is a thousand dollars a month and that yeah. means about twelve thousand dollars so right. for Christmas this year we're just asking the Lord to do a miracle and give us twelve thousand dollars so we can pay your mortgage that's our vision okay. and we, we're so thankful that you let us do that for you I because uh, we can't. just want to invest in you because yeah. we we believe in you what an amazing lady I'm telling you when I left Karen I left there it was absolutely we were deeply moved she's just a, such a positive woman and just loves the Lord. She's gone through a lot of stuff. And that room that we did the interview, and that's her life. She doesn't ever get out of that room. And uh, so it's our goal this year is we'd like to pay her mortgage for a year. And it's $1,000 a month, so $12,000. So if you, for Christmas, as you think about what you want to invest in this Christmas uh, to help our community, the Good Samaritan idea, we're helping people that are hurting. Um, you can pick up an envelope and you may want to give, pay for a month, uh, $1,000, maybe you want to pay for $10, give $10, the gift amount doesn't matter, but if the Lord taps you on the shoulder to help Tish, uh, I said to Tish, I said, we're, we're believing for a miracle, Karen and I are going to obviously do something, we're, we're praying uh, for the Lord to do a miracle, so this year you don't have to think about your mortgage, and that's not something that you have to worry about. And uh, think about how, how her attitude is so wonderful, and we just want to be an encouragement to her. So there's, there's these envelopes in the back that says uh, Tish's Mortgage Relief. They're at the Information Center. And then the cards are beginning to be available today for adopting a child for, for Christmas, and they're out there. So would you just uh, join me in prayer as we close today? We're a little bit over, but uh, let's just take a moment and pray. Lord, we lift our hands to you today because uh, we are your hands. We are your feet in this community, Lord. You haven't given the church a magic wand to take away suffering in the world, but you've given the church a servant's towel to enter into the suffering of people and to help them. So God, help us today. Help us to do your world will this Christmas. Help us to be a blessing to these kids. Help us to bless Tish. We pray that her, her Christmas will be filled with joy as she sees God's grace in her life. We thank you for this wonderful congregation and the love that you've given to, uh, to us as a church so we can help others. In Jesus' name, and we all said amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. 
You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.